0: Welcome back to the Coach and Kernan Show. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host, and I'm joined by my Hall of Fame co-host, Kevin Kernan. Both of us back from long travel trips here, myself to the Smoky Mountains, Kevin, New Jersey back to Florida. Uh, it's episode 69, and this is Real Voices of the Game. Before I introduce our, our guest here, Kevin, and I tell you that the Dos Equis commercial has nothing on this guy. The most interesting man in the world th- does an understatement for our guest today. Next yeah, time. I've known
1: Buddy a long time, so uh, looking forward to it. It'll be an easy show; I don't have to ask much. He'll he'll talk and uh, we'll let it fly. But um, this day and age, um, you know, people wear many hats, and so does Buddy. So it would be fun. And uh, again, just got back from New Jersey reunion. Three weeks away. Stopped in. Uh, actually, was in North Carolina for a few days at my sister in law's for uh, my my wife had a sister's weekend and. I got lost for uh, a few days and went to the, and we'll talk about this on the show tomorrow. I went to the, uh, the battleship in North Carolina, pretty impressive. And um, so it's been a great time. Good to be back home. Beautiful, perfect day in, in Florida, St. Augustine, about probably about 75 degrees, not a cloud in the sky.
0: Nice. Yeah. And I keep track of you on Twitter when you're traveling to make sure you're to see what you're eating and what you're drinking that day. And, and I did notice that, that post that you just mentioned, uh, which I'm excited to talk about tomorrow. So we get to get to our guest here. Um, uh, in, in our first conversation together was, was just amazing. Uh, could, could have gone on for hours, but our guest today for real voices is Buddy Bangle. He's a young entrepreneur from New Bern, North Carolina. Uh, you know, business degrees and management degrees, but what this, what this guy's done in his career is just amazing a former professional baseball player, also played in Italy and performed for their national team. Currently, he's managing partner for the Moorhead City Marlins and also Baker's Kitchen Restaurant and Bakery. He's the owner of Bengal Sports Marketing and Consulting and Beer Army Burger Company. Uh, His consulting work now, it's it's entered the sporting goods company. Spalding has been a partner, 3N2 Sports, which we talked about last time, which is baseball, footwear, and apparel. But Buddy also has background in politics and policy, too. Um, we're going to talk about that as well. But he said as a member of the General Hospital Foundation Board of Directors, uh, the Carteret County Economic Development Board, former member of the North Carolina Education Lottery Commission, and appointed by former Governor Pat McCrory. Um, Buddy Bangle, welcome to the show. I mean, more than a baseball player, obviously, and, and I'll put my money on it, the most interesting man in the world. What do you think?
2: Good morning, guys. Thank you all for having me.
0: Yeah. Um, with, with all that being said, the, the one thing I, I wanted to start with you on today, and again, the, our, we'll start our audience out in left field a little bit. Um, you ran for Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina at one point in time. Talk, talk about that experience, the motivation behind it. Um, how did it turn out?
2: Sure, I, I did. And, and I kind of joke with people that that was my internship. Uh, it was one of the best experiences that I've ever had. Really, a lot of that came back in 2018. And and as you mentioned, I love to be able to see opportunity. And and I've always kind of lived my life and want to continue to do is I don't want to be able to sit and look back on my life and go, man, I could have done that or have to tell my kids, man, there was this one time where I could have done this or I should have done that. I want to say I did that. Might not have worked out like I wanted it to, but I did that. So in 2018, when Hurricane Florence put my hometown of New Bern, North Carolina, underwater, I mean, literally underwater, uh, I had a unique opportunity. It was the day that President Trump visited our town. It was the first time a sitting U.S. president has ever been to New Bern, North Carolina. We're a small rural town right on the coast, right at the adjoining two rivers. And I happened to be standing in the parking lot of my restaurant and ran into our current or at the time, our current lieutenant governor and our House Majority Leader, and just said hello. I'd had a chance to know them a little through just the political world, invited them to come have lunch at my restaurant. Uh, they came in literally two minutes after we sat down. Linda McMahon, who was at that time the president's uh, SBA uh, administrator, so part of his cabinet, literally walks in my restaurant and comes in and joins us. And I'm sitting there looking, going, man, I've got our House Majority Leader, I have the lieutenant governor, and I have a member of the president's cabinet sitting in my little restaurant in uber north carolina and i was baffled And during that conversation the lieutenant governor mentioned that he was going to run for governor in 2020 and i said well if you're going to run for governor who's going to run for lieutenant governor he said to be honest with you buddy i don't know but we need somebody young and energetic that can bring a new voice to our state and i said well great well when you figure it out let us know so we can support them and he said well you ever thought about it i said no might be a good idea. And and the more I thought about it, I thought the more he was right, that we need some younger people. And I had come really off a amazing program that was life-changing for me in the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program. And I thought, you know, what better way to help make a difference in people's life and get a chance to know my state better, get a chance to meet people and understand how to affect policy. So I decided, I said, sure, why not? Let's do it. And it was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And you know, Sometimes, and and Kevin, you can understand this from a baseball world, sometimes losing is actually winning. And for me, by losing that race was one of the best things that ever happened to me for a couple of reasons. One being literally two weeks after the election, the world shut down with COVID. And had I won that election, I might have lost every one of my businesses because The restaurants in the sporting world were probably hurt worse than almost any industry in this country. And if I'd have had to been the general candidate and had to worry about putting together a political campaign while trying to reinvent my restaurants and navigate through COVID, I probably would have lost all of them. So to me, that was the biggest saving grace of losing was I got to keep my businesses
1: but buddy, do you uh, do you have any plans to run for anything in the future, or or are you just uh, I, kind I, of?
2: Kevin? Because I know this is your your world on things. I, I certainly uh, I posted on Twitter back then. I've you know thought a lot. I thought long and hard, and a lot of people have asked me about it. And I have consciously made the decision that I am going to run, and it's going to be on a treadmill for thirty minutes a day, uh, and that will be and that will be the only running I'm doing anytime soon.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it was eye opening. To, uh, you know, just the whole experience.
2: It was. was, I got a chance to really firsthand see how the political election process worked good, bad, and indifferent. Um, I learned quite a few things. Uh, I saw some things I thought were great. I saw some things I said, man, I didn't ever want to see that. And I I learned a lot. I met a lot of really great people and formed some great relationships and made some friends that are going to be lifelong friends of mine uh, because of that.
1: Yeah, and the, uh, I, w- I wanted to touch on, because uh, what you do is with business and everything, I, a lot of young people listen to us and there's, there's different avenues to get to uh, through sports to get, you know, sports management degree or whatever. Just just give us a, a brief background on, on what you studied and, ha- and how you got to where you are.
2: Sure. So I, I went to Quinnipiac in Hamden, Connecticut. Uh, everyone knows us for a hockey school, but believe it or not, baseball team is actually pretty good there. It is good.
1: Yeah, I knew. uh, I knew uh, a player from last year. A family from a player from a couple years ago. Mosky, they're pretty good.
2: Oh yeah, Uh, and you know, for me, it was always about trying to find opportunity. And I tell you, one of the best things my parents ever did for me was when I graduated high school. A lot of my friends were getting cars or other things, and my parents bought me a Rolodex. And I'll never forget. I looked at it and I said, "What is this thing?" And I'll never forget, my father looked at me and he said, If you know what to do with this, it'll make you more money and take you more places than anything we could ever do for you. And I'll be honest wow. with you, I kind of laughed at him. And now I look back and I go, He was 100% right. So as I was at Quinnipiac, I was always trying to find new ways to get myself into situations where I could meet people, I could talk to people, I could build relationships and create contacts. So when I had an opportunity and I signed out of Quinnipiac and I was playing independent ball, you know, I had already started my first business right out of college, which was the Coastal Plain League team. And through playing and sometimes I, n- I never talked about the team. I didn't want to talk about it because I wanted to just be another guy in the clubhouse. I didn't want people to necessarily know about other things. But I was that guy on my laptop, literally sitting in my locker working while guys would sit around and you know clown around. And I still had my fun. But one of the things that I did was I got an email one day. Uh, And Kevin, you may remember the name Tom May, who was a former AGM for the Yankees. He was director of baseball ops for them for a little while. And Tom was working for Spalding at the time and reached out and said, hey, I'd be interested in doing a glove deal. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. So he sent me some gloves. I enjoyed wearing them. And I was flying home to North Carolina and I was sitting on the plane going, you know what? I hear a lot of people in this clubhouse always going, Hey, man, how do I get this gear? How do I get that gear? I'll buy it. And I'm going, There's a market for selling this. So I called Tom and I said, I'd like to come visit you guys and I want to talk about a sales position with you guys. So he brought me up to New York and I sat down with him and the CEO and I said, You know, guys, I'd love to come work for you guys. And I feel like I have a great network. I'm talking with a lot of people. I'm seeing a lot of people that are buying sports stuff. And at the time, they were in Hapog, New York, and they were just It was a company called Regent Sports that had just gotten the license for Spalding Baseball to try to resurrect that brand. And while we were there, their CEO at the time, Carl Ferraro, and I were sitting and talking. He said, to be honest with you, buddy, we don't have any money to hire you. And I said, well, I understand that. I said, how's this? I'll work for free. I'll pay my own expenses. I'll do whatever I need to do. Let me work for free. And I promise you, after two months, you will hire me. And sure enough, in two months, I had done almost $100,000 in sales for them. And Carl brought me in and said, look, you obviously know how to sell. Now let me teach you how to build a company. Let me teach you how to manufacture baseballs, how to build gloves, how to build bats, and started teaching me that side. Tom and a guy named Rob Narvez started teaching me the sports marketing side to start understanding how to go recruit players, how to do marketing deals. And I'll never forget sitting in, there, sitting in the office one day, listening to this guy pitch us, this young second baseman saying, guys, he's the next real deal. You want to sign him to a glove deal. And sure enough, we signed Robinson Cano in 2000, it was like 2006 wow. when he was in A-ball with the Yankees. And that's why Cano came up wearing a Spalding glove. Uh, and he was the first guy I was ever part of. And then that transitioned from there, I started going to the winter meetings. I started networking and meeting people. And ended up running into the guys that were starting three and two, literally two weeks after they had acquired the company. They were looking for a baseball guy. And I, at that time, uh, Spalding got purchased by Berkshire Hathaway and Russell Athletic. They wanted to move me down to Bowling Green, Kentucky, which I did not want to do. So I ended up taking a position with, Spal- or with three and two. And then I was able to start doing more. I was helping on a sports marketing side. I was able to bring in a lot of great names through relationships for a company that nobody ever heard of. And when you look at our roster, you know, we've had guys, I had Naftali Felice when he won American league rookie of the year, his two world series appearances, his all-star appearance. Uh, I had AJ Burnett with his time with the Yankees, the Phillies, the pirates. Um, we've had, uh, I had Ryan Braun. That was a big one for us, uh, literally post uh, steroid time, which was excellent. But we ended up, I mean, we were, Knocking on the door with guys like Josh Hamilton, uh, Gary Sheffield. We made Manny Ramirez wore our shoes for a little while when he was in Oakland. Uh, And currently today, and he's going to the World Series, Aaron Nola was a guy that was wearing three and two stuff. So we've really kind of blossomed and, and taken a company. And I enjoy going up against the Nikes, the Reeboks, the Adidas Under Armour of the world. It's a lot of fun to compete against those guys. I say it's easy to sell Nike and Under Armour it's a lot harder to take a company that nobody's ever heard of and convince guys to wear it.
0: Yeah. Buddy, we have uh, our, our shows being listened to in 42 countries right now. And most of the national teams are represented in our audience right here. Give you give you a couple minutes, tell our audience what 3 & 2 is and why they should take a look at it today and where they can find it.
2: So 3 & 2 is a company based out of Orlando, Florida, and we specialize Really in apparel, uniforms. Uh, We've kind of moved away a little bit from footwear, although we still do it. But we're one of the leaders in sublimated uniforms. Our quality, I will put our quality up with anybody in the country. We have some of the most notable travel ball teams in the country are wearing our stuff. We have great quality materials produced in a timely manner. A lot of great portals where you can visit us at the number three, the letter N, the number two, sports dot com and see a full variety of how you can create custom jerseys from sublimated. And one of the nice things for us is we don't charge based on different material. We charge one price and you can choose any material full custom. And we've really started to make a name even in collegiate summer league where my franchise in the coastal plain league, we wear it. And most notably one of uh, Kevin, your favorite, even though to my, uh, relentless, the Savannah bananas wear a three and two (laughs) uniform. So uh, well, we're really they, if job
1: they're for that wearing three and two, we know it's good because they're, they're, they're pretty good at marketing themselves.
2: <laughs> and they've, they've done a few things and, and I'm sure we'll touch on them. That's been interesting to see them grow. And I remember from day one when that got started.
0: Yeah. We'll, um, we'll take take a little left turn from from the sports. I, I want you to tell the audience just so they can get a full range of your, your background. Where are you headed today after the show?
2: So as soon as uh, as soon as we're done with this show, I'm actually heading up to Cisco's headquarters in North Carolina, and I'm currently working on a custom sausage blend for my restaurant. So we're working on sausage patties, sausage links, working with North Carolina farmers to produce a unique sausage breakfast blend, because at my restaurants, I love creative new products. Uh, one of, I have two restaurants, one of them called Baker's Kitchen where we're very similar to a cracker barrel, except for we make everything from scratch in hand. We make our own syrup. It's one of the coolest things, and it's going to hit the market in a massive way. It's taken me a long time, but I finally got it bottled. You can go to buttersyrup.com and check it out. I'll send you guys some syrup, Kevin. It'll be great on your pancakes at you know 9.30 when you're sitting on the porch drinking your coffee. Uh, It's got no maple syrup in it. It's kind of our own concoction of things. And it's going to take this country by storm because there's nothing like it on the market. So I'm always working on how to create a new experience for our customers, a new taste and give them something unique that when they go out, it's a very, very memorable taste that they put in their mouth.
1: That's fantastic. I'll have to get you hooked you up. Uh, talk to my son who has a restaurant in St. Augustine. Uh, August. Absolutely, yeah. You know, to pour you on uh, tap house beer, wine, hard cider, also, uh, great food too. So that, that sounds well, like I'll uh, have,
2: and a And I'll have to come visit you. Uh, my uh, my future in laws live in St. Augustine now, so they moved down there and built a house down there. So uh, I'll be coming to visit Beautiful. down there sooner rather than uh, later.
1: No, I'm looking forward to it because obviously uh, people can tell your energy, uh, w- what you do, and the uh, and I think too, uh, you know, the syrup. The, uh, the uh, we got to get, we got to jump over to uh, what else? Whiskey, you yeah. you got some whiskey going on. Some bites, right? so, we do some, your whiskey.
2: Sure. So my my other restaurant is called Poppy's Bites and Barrels, and it was formerly Beer Army Gastropub, but it was I decided to rename it this past year, and really in February. And I named it after my grandfather. So my grandfather, who was one of my heroes, he, is, he was a decorated United States Marine. He served our country with honor. He had two Purple Hearts, a Bronze Star, uh, fought in some of the most famous battles. He was at uh, the Battle of Punchbowl. He was at Heartbreak Ridge. He was one of seven that came home. And when he did come home, he dedicated his life to making sure that our servicemen and women were A, always thanked, and B, never forgotten. And when he passed away, I thought I needed to do something to continue his honor and his legacy. And my restaurant is dedicated to service members. So you see a lot of military memorabilia in there. You'll see a lot of different concepts from the way we name things. And to me, my restaurant there and other places has to be more than just about putting food or drink on the table. It's got to be creating a greater mission and purpose than just the experience. So at our restaurant. We always work to find ways that we can give back. So in 2020, my GM and I, who were both bourbon lovers, I happened to, again, get lucky and part of a conversation, get in touch with Maker's Mark. And Maker's Mark does what's one of the coolest things I think today available, a private select series. And with their private select series, they take wood staves and figured if you take a wood stave, you can change the flavor in essence of bourbon without excuse me, changing actual bourbon. So it's still considered Enough. bourbon. Got an so issue here. what they did is there's a thousand and one combinations with a 10 stave mix that they have, or excuse me, a five stave mix that they've created. So we were able to get a barrel allocated. When I looked at my staff, I said, we're going to go to Kentucky and we're going to create this, but we have to have a better mission and purpose. And as I mentioned earlier in 2018, I was part of a program called the Presidential Leadership Scholars, which was a program put together by President George W. Bush, President Bill Clinton, and it sought to find some of the top emerging leaders in the country. And in doing so, I met some just amazing people. And I met this one girl named Lisa Hallett, who is the CEO of Wear Blue, Run to Remember. And that organization helps to mentor Gold Star youth. It helps to remember our service members who were killed in action. And her husband was killed and her kids were very young. So I told our staff I wanted to name this first bottle for her. So, the first bottle we did was called For the Fallen. And all the money that we raised from a dinner and from sales of that bottle went directly to her organization. And it was such a success. I wanted to continue that. So, we've committed to five years. So, this past year, we just released our newest bourbon, and we always do it the first weekend in October. So, this next one was called Thin Blue Line, and it went to raise money for local law enforcement. One of it went to the canine division, and the other went to help law enforcement officers whose families have fallen on hard times. Either the officer was injured, they may be short on groceries or whatever. This will go to directly help them get through tough times. So it was really important for us to find ways to get back.
1: We lost you there for a second. So what, what was the name of the woman who you helped with the, oh, uh sorry. You know, her, her husband was killed in her, service?
2: Her, yeah. Her name was Lisa Hallett. And the organization is Wear Blue Run to Remember. And you can go to wearblue.org. It's it's just a phenomenal organization. They have running groups all across this country that help people cope with the loss of a mother, a father, brother, sister. And the stories are honestly just uh, amazing. I think our country needs to see more of what people like Lisa are doing.
1: Well, I'm gonna put you in touch with my son-in-law, who happens to uh, he runs a running store in Savannah, outside Savannah, and um, oh, great, and it's and they deal with a lot of military people, and they 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 have weekly runs, daily runs, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, and I think you're onto something there because I think there's there's that community there. That it's it's a very um, it's a very um, what's the word I'm looking for? They they they're you know they're committed, they're committed. It's a committed community. very very much so. Yeah. So I think that'd be a great, great connection as well. And the things you're doing, uh, you know, I, I also want to point out with the syrup and what you said about North Carolina, I, I was coming, like come, you know, I stopped at a little farm the other time, yesterday because I drove down and, um, you know, they, uh, they had a nice, uh, you know, uh, unbelievable assortment of stuff all, all grown in North Carolina, obviously, but, uh, you no, know, the old bumper sticker they had right there, no farmers, no food, the importance of farmers, and, and you're dealing, uh, you know, and you're meeting with people in North Carolina on a baseball standpoint. You also, I'm sure you meet a lot, and also with your businesses. Well, it just give us a little, uh, you know, because I think our
2: farmers need to be supported in so many ways, especially what's going on in the world. They, they really do, and in North Carolina, agriculture is our leading industry. We have a ton of farmland in this state, and a lot of people don't realize what's produced. We're one of the top producers in the world in sweet potatoes. I believe
1: potatoes. it. I, I drove through most most of it yesterday. I went took back
2: roads. <laughs> <laughs> you could have stopped and picked up a good uh, sweet potato while you're there. We did. We
1: brought, I got. I got five right behind
2: you.
0: <laughs> buddy. What I like about what you do, I mean, it's it's. Obviously, interesting is an understatement, but you seem to have a higher purpose in terms of everything you do, It's just not on the surface. I'm opening a restaurant. Uh, talk about baseball now. I mean, you're, you're, I like your title. You're the chief breaking ball officer uh, for for the Moorhead City Marlins, um, and one of the most prestigious, uh, long-lasting collegiate leagues, Coastal Plains leagues in the country. Um, and you have a unique way of building your teams there. Could you talk about how? How you you came about um, first owning a team, and then second, how you kind of worked with how you develop your teams now.
2: Sure. So you know it's been it's been really different and unique of how we've done things in Moorhead City, and and we've really had a, a unique evolution. So this team I started in 2010 down in Moorhead City, and it really started in 2005. This actually started as my senior thesis at Quinnipiac because I didn't know what to write my thesis on, and my mom goes, well, you've always wanted to own a baseball team, so why don't you write it on that? And I, and I was so enthralled, and, and Kevin, you can appreciate this. I'm actually the only owner in the Coastal Plain League that actually played in the league. So I was in the league in 2002 in Petersburg, Virginia, and I'll never forget, I was so amazed that I was pitching on a Friday night in the small town of Edenton, North Carolina. And it was a town, literally Edenton has about 5,000 people, 5,500 people in the town. And it was this old wood stands ballpark at their local high school. And I was just baffled because I stepped on the mound. There were almost a thousand people there. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, almost 20% of your community is at this. This is a perfect model for places that can't afford or don't have the ability to bring minor league baseball to them and it just at that point i knew there was something special and the following summer i went into the northeast and i had an opportunity to go to the cape and i decided to go to this town called Newport Rhode Island which i had never been to before i didn't know anything about it and i was blown away that they had 2000 people at their games and i had an opportunity to live with their owner a guy named chuck piva who's one of my dearest friends today and he taught me about running a team operating it so when i came back and Got this team moving here, and I wanted to be different. And I tell you, I've learned a lot as I've transitioned from a player to an owner and and becoming an even better owner. And there's a lot of different pieces that I see in the game today, uh, really where it's changing. You know, For instance, the first year, I said I wanted to bring in experienced coaches. And you may remember the name Jay Bergman. Uh, Jay was a Hall of Fame Division I coach at Central Florida, the University of Florida. Uh, So Mm -hmm. Jay was our first ever head coach in Moorhead City. And Jay brought a lot of great notoriety. I'll be honest with you, when he applied, I thought he was joking. Actually, I actually thought it was somebody different. Uh, but it was, uh, had a great relationship. Jay did it for two years for us. And then I said, I'm going to make another big splash and brought in former big leaguer Brian McRae. Uh, Brian McRae managed us for a year. That was a, an interesting year, none to say the least. But it started to evolve. And our world in Moorhead City started to change in 2017. When our head coach and I sat down after the season, he said, buddy, I really want to continue here. I love this place, but we have to make sure we're committed to winning on the field and figuring out how we can have a better team. And I told him, I said, I will make, I'll do whatever it takes. I want to win that badly. And we got lucky in September. This guy shoots me an email and asks if he could come be a recruiter for us. And I had heard that there was a quote unquote legend of a guy that recruited for a team. And I read the guy's background. And again, Thought it was a joke. He was the director of statistical analysis for the Toronto Blue Jays. And I thought that was, I was like, yeah, okay, why is this guy reaching out to me? So I ended up bringing him on. Uh, He has become like a brother to me. And he has been with us since 2018. And we've boasted since 2018 the best record in the CPL, including Savannah. We won back to back titles in 18 and 19. We went to the finals three straight years. We've made the playoffs every single year. And we've won seven out of eight division titles. He brings a whole new look, and Kevin, he takes a unique approach to it. It's, I say, it's a combination of the Rays theory and Moneyball, and blends them together in understanding how we talk about pitching, how we talk about lineup composition, what we look for. To me, I think it's it's the reason why the Yankees aren't winning and why the Yankees get embarrassed in the playoffs because they've gotten away from understanding. When you looked back into the '90s, the Yankees killed you on dominant starting pitching and a bullpen that was shut down. You could not beat them. And that's exactly how we build our teams in Moorhead city. And when we've won championships and lately it's been because our starting pitching is good. Our bullpen has been phenomenal and we've gotten timely hitting because when you get into the playoffs and you get into the postseason, every pitcher is good. They've got their a game every single night and good pitching beats, good hitting any day of the week.
1: Well, it, 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 exactly. It's baseball. You know, I always mm-hmm. and it's interesting because, I, you know, I've always I kill the nerds all the time because not because they're nerds, but because they want to dominate. And it sounds like you've taken a, a nerd, you know, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but with a baseball approach. And what, what's this gentleman's name? And because uh, I, so, I missed that.
2: So, so his name is Jeff Romer um and have absolutely so Jeff as funny as it sounds he graduated towards the top of his class at Princeton uh and he was with the Blue Jays uh with Richardi.
0: I was gonna and, say it uh, sounded
2: was- like
1: he was with Richard's group and um and uh and you know and, and JP did some interesting things there of course and I'm, I'm still still in contact with JP here and there and yeah. uh and, and, and again because we're mainly a baseball podcast but it's amazing to me, and you nailed it with the Yankees. I just wrote a big column about it the other day. Three, two, one count, count. You know, it's contact. They don't. Their approach is literally. I just had a scout who was scouting them, sent me a note saying he's never seen an approach like this from hitters at all. And and you can you can also take that to the pitching staff. But I don't want to get too heavy in, in the Yankees. But what you're doing is the right thing. Sounds like the Yankees would do a smart thing and uh, hire you as uh, the new GM. That would be fun.
2: Well, we, you know, like I said, for us, we look at composition very uniquely. So, for instance, when we break down our batting order, we say, okay, in our leadoff spot, I generally like a guy who is either A, a switch hitter, or we generally like to start with a right-handed guy. Reason being, if our leadoff guy gets on, my two-hole guy I definitely want a left-handed hitter. Our two-hole is the most valuable spot in our lineup because there's so many things he can do. We also truly believe that the most useless spot is the three hole. Because when we look statistically at how many times the three hole comes up with nobody on and two outs, we look at going, that should be an average hitter who can get on base. We look at the five hole because we believe that the five hole comes up with runners in scoring position more times than any other spot in the lineup. So we put our best hitter in the five hole because that's where we get the best run production from. So we've taken a unique approach of data with baseball guys and understanding how to blend it. And I think it's so hard. I joke and say, I think it's easier to win the world series than to win in collegiate summer baseball in a competitive league, because there's a lot of factors that we deal with going Well, college coaches can shut a player down injuries, the draft. I mean, major league baseball killed us this year with the Marlins. I had seven guys off our active roster get signed to major league organizations. I mean, wow. that, I mean, wow. when you're working on about a 28 to 30-man roster, taking seven guys off your almost 25% of your roster. Now, I had the best bullpen I've ever had, and I think maybe the history of the Coastal Plain League. I thought it was incredible that we had five to six guys in our bullpen that were 93 to 97, including one of them being left-handed, who was up to 97. I mean, we just had incredible – and. What was most proud for me as an owner and being unique is when we played Savannah in 2021 in the league championship series, I did not have a single division one player in our starting nine. That's amazing. amazing. We find kids from mid-major schools, even this year, we had a lot of, I mean, Kentucky was probably the biggest school we had, but other than that, we've had a lot of your mid-major D2, I mean, the Coastal Plain League Player of the Year, who was our center fielder, was a great story. The kid came to us as a temp from a small Division three school in Pennsylvania, Elizabethtown College. Ben Watson. Ben Watson. He broke the CPL single-season batting average record. He hit 426 this year and was just incredible to watch. And it's funny, before we got on, I just got a text message that he just committed to Virginia Tech. Uh, for next year, so he's finishing his undergrad this year, and he'll go for his fifth year. I don't think he gets there. I think Major League Baseball will snag him this summer. But it, just incredible. Uh, we had the Division Three National Player of the Year uh, last year, playing for us in Ryan McCarty, who was out of Penn State Abington. So we've had some really unique, and that's where we pride ourselves on finding those kids from small, mid-major, D one, D two, even JUCO schools. Uh, to come to Moorhead City, no, that, no, that's so that good, room?
1: and it's it's mm. so much. It's what baseball should be. Again, I'm never against data. I think data can be used well if you use it with baseball people, and that's Correct. and these these nerds. And, and when I say nerds, with the Yankees and everything, they've destroyed the game from inside out. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. They keep getting hired by the owners. There's so many bad teams, and I agree with you. Winning the World Series, uh, you know. It could be a piece of cake. The Phillies on the fly made an adjustment, changed managers, did different things with the lineup, uh, a directionalist franchise got direction, and all of a sudden they're in the World Series. But it can be done, and they make it out to be such a science project when it's simply baseball. So kudos to you.
2: It's about where you invest, too, and I think you're right on the right example there. But when you look at the Phillies' makeup, you look at going okay they have two big time starters in Wheeler and Nola and then they have a good pitching staff they have a solid bullpen but that was something for some reason the Yankees always, and I'd love to know their data of why they just keep investing in offense 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 because when's the last time a straight offensive team has won the world series without having a dominant pitching staff you can't find one and exactly that's and that's kind of how we've built Moorhead City. And we also pride ourselves on being one of the coolest spots to play summer baseball. When you're a college kid, what's better than coming to live on the beach in a beautiful coastal town and getting to getting to play summer ball where you go, on oh, my day off, man, I went and spent at the beach. I went fishing. You know, yeah, I went to the bars and clubs on the beach. I mean, it's a very tough life, but we do promote that as a great environment, that we're a winning organization. It's a great life off the field, on the field. And to us, it's about how we position ourselves on a national level, not just for recruiting, but to bring attention of what we're doing there. We have great crowds. We do a lot of unique things that are intriguing uh, to players. Uh, One of the things that's been really popular for us is mixing music, which is another love that I have into baseball and bringing country music artists uh, we had we had a Grammy nominated artist playing this year before one of our games, which was a great experience for our players to get a chance to see them, interact with them, and it's why you come to Moorhead City. And who was that artist? Uh, Walker Hayes. Oh so he yeah, had, and, uh, had the Apple song.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, and the because uh, because I follow you obviously, and people can follow you, uh, your your team. Dave and I will make a road trip up there next year for sure. And uh, You need to. We'll do a show it.
2: live from the ballpark.
1: That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. A- and uh, again, what you're doing, and I'll, I'll, I'll flip it over to Dave, but what you're doing is you're tapping into some basic stuff. It sounds to me like you have a common sense approach in business and baseball. And in a way, in our country, we've lost that. You know, uh, especially now, what's going on with uh, inflation and uh, Ukraine and this and that. And, you know, uh, um, the, the reaction to COVID, the vaccines, uh, it's, 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 it's scary what's going on. So we need more common sense people in charge.
2: We, we do. And, and we need more people to understand. It's something, a lesson that I got taught very early. And, and Kevin, I'm sure you've probably heard this phrase. Everything I've learned in life, I've learned through the game of baseball. It's taught me the highs, the lows. It's taught me sometimes you can hit a home run, but sometimes you need four singles to actually score a run. It teaches you how to think. It teaches you how to apply different principles to the game. And to me, that's where I've taken that approach into business and I've taken it to other aspects of my life. And it's just been something that I'm always thankful for. I'm glad to still be a part of it. And, you know, what this team means, not just to me, but to Morehead City, to Eastern North Carolina has been tremendous. And I want to be able to bring more attention to what we're doing in Moorhead City, because I think we have some very unique pieces, uh, whether it's, you know, funny promotions, whether it's funny team names. You know, we changed our team name uh, last year. Every Tuesday we play as the Morehead City Fish Tacos, which has been really intriguing, really funny. And uh, we have some new ones coming for this year that we're really, really excited about to launch uh, first part of 23. Nice.
0: Hey, buddy, you have a unique That's approach. Awesome. You, you've explained uh, about Go your ahead, team. Dave. Like, yeah, um, you have a unique approach about how you built your team. Dave, made you- oh, we're, we're losing Dave today here. Well, I'll
1: just keep it going then. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, I'm kind of like to start a show anyway be honest with you i'm only really kidding love dave, uh, you know, dave. Hey. dave does all you know i'm sure you had great conversations with dave and everything else and the um uh, you know and what he does what does the what does the fan base uh, what kind of feedback do you get from the fan base um regarding um you know the way you guys approach the game sounds like you've taken a little bit of a cape cod league down
2: to, to north
1: Carolina as well
2: you know, we really have. And I tell you, my approach really has evolved. And, and I tell you, I give a lot of credit uh, in learning some things from Savannah and having them part of our league. And while I don't agree with Savannah on everything, and I tell you, their owner, Jesse Cole and I, I mean, we butted heads quite a bit in league meetings on a lot of different topics. But we can did and
1: I could see that because I know Jesse and, uh, you know.
2: And, he, he, and we but but there were the one thing I tell you, I give him all the credit in the world is his philosophy, his principle, and his process is phenomenal. He has really understood, and I think Major League Baseball needs to pay attention on some levels, is how we truly understand how to entertain and attract fans. And that's why we're starting to change some of the things that we do in Moorhead City. You know, We've gone to an all-you-can-eat ticket, which has been phenomenal for us, both financially and from a fan's perspective. We've listened to our fans and we try to figure out how do we create an experience because he has learned and really applied to us is going, the majority of fans couldn't tell you that our eight hole guy hit a double in the eighth inning to break a two, two tie and to, you know, win a win a game for us in the on a Tuesday in June, but they could tell you that they remember hitting their little brother in the face with a pie and winning a Chick-fil-A coupon. They can, they will 100%. And not only will they remember that, They're going to post that on social media, and they're going to create an experience where other people are talking about them. And that's how it's grown the brand. And that's where we're trying to be able to take off on a national level. Because as much as I say, I don't always agree with Savannah, I certainly respect what they've done. And I said, well, if they can do this, how do I do it better? How do I take where they've missed and where I say they've missed? Jesse will tell you they didn't care about what happened on the field now they were very good because he truly believed if you create an unprecedented environment everybody will want to come play for you and he was right and that's why Savannah was so good on the field and that's something that we are now trying to learn to do better and we've done it really well the last two years and continue to make things better for a fan experience
1: well and nothing against Savannah because I you know I did this story on him I kind of the story where everybody followed a year later, once again, uh, you know, getting ahead of the crowd, but, uh, it sounds to me like you're a little bit more baseball oriented as well. And it's still for the pure, for the people who love the game, you, you want to see the game. It could be, it could be entertaining and they've done a great job and I love what they've done. Um, but, but also you got to, there's a fine line between entertainment and clown show.
2: And I think there can be a good, even mix on things. And that's where we try to find that mix because, Winning between the lines is extremely important to me. I go to every game. I pay attention to what's going on. I, you know, I never, I never will tell our head coach what to do. But after the game, we might be sitting around having a drink, and I might say, "Just curious, why didn't you walk that guy in the eighth? Or should have stole second here? Whatever." But yeah, we always have good ball. conversations. Absolutely,
1: one hundred percent. And that's what the game is. That's to a degree. That's what the game is lost on the major league level now. They run to the iPad. Um, you know, they don't talk baseball enough. You have organizations like the Yankees who can continue to flounder in the media. Now the writers are starting to say, oh, what, you know, what's going on with Cashman and Boone? I've been on this for, for for a year at least, longer, much longer. Uh, I could see what's going on there. They just lost – they've lost their way, unfortunately, and it, and it starts at the top. you got to have an owner who's committed. Um, down the road – before I get to my last question, down the road um, – do you have – it seems to me like it, you would be a nice part of a bigger situation if, if, if you could you know, ever get involved with an ownership group in baseball. Have you ever entertained such wild ideas as that? You
2: know, I say, Kevin, every door is another opportunity, and I would certainly entertain – I would entertain a front office position with a major league organization if it were the right fit, and it'd have to be the right – the right pieces, because I think major league teams need to start thinking a little bit more outside the box. And I think you're finding success. Look at with Tampa Bay bringing in outside folks. That's when their organization started to turn around and change dramatically. Um, That to me, I think is really, really important. So I say I'm always open to entertaining any offer. I will certainly listen. I might not agree with it. I might not take it, but I'll listen to any offer anybody has about anything.
1: No, that's, that's fantastic. And and uh, w- one thing I asked all the guests at the end, um, and you a- answer us any way you can. Now you, you have a unique perspective of having played ball and everything else and, and being involved so much. But it's a simple question. Think about it a second. You don't have to rush into an answer. You know, we're we're casual here. You know, we, we're we kind of like a baseball game. You know, sometimes the ball goes through our legs. Sometimes we uh, hit a home run. Sometimes we make a great play. Uh, but we enjoy ourselves the whole time. It's It's, it's a conversation among friends. So the question is real simple. Um, What is a ball player to you?
2: You know, I think there's a a lot of different answers. I'm going to give you kind of a unique perspective. And I look at it from a multitude of answers. I look at it from the standpoint, and I'm sure I can give you a unique perspective. For me personally, when I think of as a player, I think of that guy with his pants up, has a little bit of dirt on his uniform. That guy who literally, when he comes off the field, is exhausted because he's played as hard as he could. I think about, from my standpoint, and it's the advice that I got when I was younger, if you're good enough, no matter where you are, somebody will find you. And that's the beauty of baseball. It's not like the NFL or the NBA where you have to play at a top-tier Division I school to be an impact guy. There's impact guys that have played at small schools that nobody's ever heard of. You can't say, spell, or pronounce Quinnipiac for most people. But we have guys that have played in the big leagues. We had a guy that made his big league debut this year from Quinnipiac. And when I look at it from a Marlins standpoint, it's a guy who makes the impact in the life of somebody else. That player is going to change the life of a host family or a fan and never knows it. And I know we're short on time, but the perfect example, Chris Taylor played for me in Moorhead City, who's the Dodgers outfielder. He's had a great relationship with his host family. He's brought them to World Series. So he's a ball player, but he's had an impact in changing the life of somebody else because of an opportunity he took. So it can be a multitude of different things and perspectives and how you look at it.
1: No, that's perfect. That's a great answer. And um, I, you know, I I think uh, people got a little window into your world today with us and. It's it's really interesting. I've known you for many years. Uh, never quite knew all the things that you did, but I knew you were involved in baseball and loved the game, and that's that's what we're all about here. And so it's uh, it's been a pleasure having Buddy Bengal on. Um, this is a I think this is a must listen, not only for baseball fans, but this is a, and I know you have the contacts. This is one that should go in, into college courses and things like that for. You know, um, you know, just just. One last thing I want to ask you is: What, what advice do you have? Because I'm sure this will be listened to by by young people. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for these uh, young people wanting to get into into the into the sports world?
2: It, it, it's an advice of a poster that I got when I was very young, and it still hangs in my house today. And it was a poster that said, in, uh, "The title said opportunity," and it's you can't steal second if you don't take your foot off first. And I to me. That. That's a piece that I've always kind of lived by of going, you have to take risk. You have to put yourself out there. You have to go places where you don't know anybody and talk to people. You have to shake hands. You have to put yourself in unique opportunities. And you have to make a great first impression. You have to make sure that you have a business card with something on you and ask. You may get turned down a 100 times. But the beauty of baseball is if you get a hit three out of 10 times, you're a Hall of Famer. And that to me is the way you need to be in approaching life is always put yourself because you never know who you're talking to. You never know who you're going to meet and always, always think the person you are talking to is the most important person in the world, regardless of who they are.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic advice. It's kind of way AMBS runs his uh, life. You know, that's what I do. I think that's why I've made so many contacts through the years and, and the interesting people like you I've met, it's been, uh, you know, I really enjoy it. That's why, that's why I still do this at, at my age. And, and you know what else, buddy? And you're a young man, but it, this all keeps you young, too. The game keeps you young. There's no doubt about
2: that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. You, you meet such amazing people. And this game is so small. The, the longer you're around it, the smaller and smaller this world gets. And the more you can connect to people. It's just been, I'm still honestly baffled every single day. The more and more I'm learning, the more and more I'm seeing and how I can continue to get connected uh, to people to be able to help make the difference for somebody somewhere.
1: Well, uh, I can't thank you enough. And also, I'm going to some of your principles here. I will give you a call, uh, sure, you know, over the next few weeks, too, because I want to do a I want to do a piece for ball nine on you as well. Just what you've created and your philosophies, because I think it's something that. That, uh, you know, it's great to hear a podcast, uh, you know, especially our podcast. It's simple. It's audio. But it's also nice to see the printed word. And um, we'll, we'll do something later on down the road. Can't thank you enough. Just hang on here while uh, Dave sinks us all up and we say goodbye. And we'll see you tomorrow on Coaching Kernan. Buddy, yeah, I'm still here.
2: I'm still Yeah.